Nexus Church is all about cultivating an authentic Christian community where old and young alike journey with Jesus and are transformed by the gospel. May we be challenged and inspired by the power of His Word. So we, um, we completed our, our series last week. Pastor Cam kind of finished it off with being connected. We called it Connect 4, but we did five weeks. So we added the thumb in that little picture and connected to the Spirit. And I, I sat with Pastor Cam just last week and we're like, we need a three-week series. We need something because we've got three weeks and then we've got Shane Willard coming and then we have Easter. So let's just come up with something really good. And we sat there together and we're working it out. And Cam, Cam has amazing ideas. He was just going through them and he had this thing of, let's do John 15, 16 and 17. And I was like, yes, that's amazing. And then I didn't put a series plan together. So we're not doing a series, but I'm jumping into John 15 tonight. So we'll see what happens next week. Pastor Nathan might do it. He might just maverick it. And he's welcome to do that. He's the senior pastor. He can do what he wants to do. But I was considering this week, um, the odd thing that we do every time that we travel somewhere by plane, and that is the emergency briefing. It's a, it's a time when the, the pilot, or not the pilot, the, um, the head stewardess or the head steward will get on the microphone and say, these are the things to do in case of an emergency. And they start going through it. And I feel like, I mean, there's different ways you, you kind of, uh, I guess you listen to it. Some people listen to it intently thinking that this is the last time they'll fly and this is life and death. Like it's actually going to help them. Um, then you have the people who are just kind of trying to humour the, um, the stewardesses and, and the stewards and be like, yes, I'm listening to you. That's really interesting. And then you have the people with their noise-cancelling headphones and they do not care. They're just not interested. But it's kind of an, a, a funny one because I think that we listen to that and we like it because it makes us feel safe. It makes us feel like, oh, okay, if this big metal object falls from 10,000 feet, plummeting at the earth, if I put my head between my knees, I'm going to be okay. <laughs> I want to tell you, you are, and it is going to be okay, but... For the, for the people running it, they're doing it because it's instructional. They're doing it because they actually want you to know these things and they want you to engage with it. I think we like it because it makes us feel a little bit better. John 15 can be a little bit like this. John 15 is a, um, it's, it's a very famous passage and, and we will get to it soon. But I do feel like, I know for myself, as I was reading it this week, I've fallen into the trap in the past of reading it as comfort and assurance for me. I've read it as something that is just meant to make me feel better and make me feel more comfortable. And to give it a bit of context, this, and I never actually knew this, or I'd never kind of realised it until I was reading this week, this is one of the last things that Jesus says to his disciples before he is arrested and taken to the cross. So it has to be of utmost importance because he knew what was going on. And, and so what's preceded this is, They've gone for their, their last supper. He's washed their feet. He's shown them what a servant is. He's basically told them a few good things, told them he's going away, but don't let your hearts be troubled. It's going to be okay. He then lets them know that one of their mates is going to betray him. And he says, Judas, like, go do what you need to do. But interestingly, the other disciples didn't really understand what was going on. They just thought he was going to get more food for the party, not understanding he's not the party planner, he's the party pooper. But he was doing that. And then it kind of changes gears. So Jesus is spending this time reassuring his disciples, letting them know, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. You're going to be comforted. You're going to be able to do all these things. And then it changes gears. 
And that's what we hit in John 15. So let's read it together. John 15, I'm going to read from verses 1 through to verse 8. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So these are verses we've, we've heard before, continuing from verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Pretty powerful passage and one that I'm sure many of you have heard before and I just want to encourage you, and, and I'm going to focus on maybe a different bit to what you've focused on in the past if you've heard this message preached. And um, often we would speak about remaining in Him and abiding in Him, and, and this is so important, and, and that's absolutely a part of it. But there's another thing I kind of want to press into. Uh, previously, so at, at our house now, we're able to put plants in the ground, which is a very exciting thing. Previous to that, everything was in pots. And my wife loves plants, and she has a particular affinity with indoor plants. If you're an indoor plant lover, can you give me a little wave? Yep, yeah, I know you. Monstera deliciosa, fig something, fiddle leaf, that's the other one. That's about as far as it goes. But there's always kind of a plant that you absolutely love. And so she was on this indoor plant train, and we went to the nursery, and it was on um, Beams Road, which is an unbelievable nursery there, and it's an older lady that, that looks after the plants. And we essentially said, we're looking for an indoor plant. And she looks at us dead in the eyes and goes, indoors is where plants go to die. <laughs> and I was like... That's why we're here. We need an indoor plant, but we don't want it to die. Please help us. But for some reason, they've become all the rage. We love these indoor plants to the point now that if you have an indoor plant, they've, they've kind of bred them. don't know if that's the right word, but I'm going to go with it. They've kind of bred these plants it's in a plant farm um, to be built for the indoors. So much so that if you take your indoor plant outside, it's going to burn it. If you take it out there, it's going to ruin it, which is insane. Plants are built for the outdoors. Plants are built to be outside, but for some reason, we've domesticated our plants and made them in such a way that they can now no longer function in the environment they were created for. Crazy. I want to suggest we can do this with the gospel. I want to suggest that maybe at times we can domesticate the gospel. We can just want to keep it within our house or keep it within this house to the point that if we feel like we take it outside, it's just going to burn and wither, which is crazy. And so this passage, I believe, kind of flies in the face of that idea. So uh, if you'll come with me, it's going, to, it's going to be a good time. I want to look at why Jesus describes himself as a vine. 
Why did he pick that plant? He could have picked any plant. He could have said, I am like an oak. I stand tall. I provide shelter. I'm strong. You can hang off me. You can climb me. It doesn't have the same ring, but he could, he could have done that. He could have said, I am this beautiful little flower, humble from far away, but when you get up close, intricate and marvelous. He could have said all these different things, all these different plants, but he chose a vine. I believe there's two reasons that he picked a vine, and we're going to jump into those together now. So the first one is the vine is a really important symbol for Israel. Throughout the Old Testament, the vine was used often in describing Israel and the plan for them. They even had, I believe, across the temple was a picture of a vine going across it. But Israel, when they're spoken about being the vine, it also speaks about how they didn't bear fruit. It speaks about how they didn't actually do what they were called to do. They failed in the long term to live up to what God had required them to do. In Isaiah 49.6, they were asked to be the light for the Gentiles and to take salvation to the ends of the earth. But instead, they took what was given to them as the covenant people of God and held it for themselves. They took what they had and they did everything they could to keep it. They took what they were given and they did everything they could to protect it instead of allowing it to be shared with others. It's like when you have people over for dinner and you've got a share table. If it's guests, you're very polite. You say, oh, no, you first. Please go for it. If it's family, get that grub on my plate. It's all good. You're going to get in there and you want to get it all there. And for Israel, they just wanted to keep it all on their plate. They wanted to keep it to themselves. And we just see throughout the Old Testament... Constantly, they're just doing what they can to hold on to it, forgetting what they've been called to as the covenant people. You see, what they did is they had all of the elements, they'd been given all the elements, but they didn't have a true picture of what they were called to do. Can I get the um, beautiful picture up on the, the back screen to help illustrate this point? You'll see this is a, um, a, a picture that my wife drew on the left. So this one is my wife, Ree. So she drew this unicorn. Now, before I talk about this, we need to enter into a covenant ourselves. <laughs> so when I show you this picture, I need you to know, so the, the picture on your right is drawn by my four-year-old daughter, and she is extremely proud of this picture. So next time you see her, do not go up to her and laugh about her drawing, because she loves it. She thinks it's the best. So essentially what's happened is Ree drew a unicorn, for Sparrow to then draw a unicorn. Now, as you can see, she's had a good go. She's got a lot of the elements. It's got the horn. It's got a sideways face, which is kind of cool. It's got three legs, and I'm going to say it's a tail. (laughs) It's got all of the elements that are very important for a unicorn. Now, we would look at that, and we'd go... It might be a unicorn, but Sparrow would look at that and say, without a doubt, that is a unicorn. This is kind of a picture of what Israel did with the mission that they were given as a people. They were given all the elements. Jesus went to them and said, I want you to take this and take this light and give it to the Gentiles. Take it and spread it to the ends of the earth. And in their minds that they were doing this, in their minds they were doing exactly what they were called to do, All the elements were there, but they just weren't quite in their right place, which ends up 
with kind of a distorted picture, which is why we have Jesus. Thanks so much for that, team. You see, what Jesus did, when he announces himself as the true vine, he's taking the very thing that Israel was described as and saying that I am a true and better version of this. The word here for true is alethanos, and that that means not just resembling the truth, but the truth, the absolute truth. And so what we see in Jesus is the mission of our Heavenly Father played out in a perfect way. And we're shown that through Jesus. So it's not just fragments, it's not just an interpretation, but it's a true picture of the mission that we are called to, but that Jesus was called to in taking light to the Gentiles and salvation to the ends of the earth. And didn't he do this? You know, he, through his actions, he both completed it and also set into motion us. He set into motion his church, which its primary role was to take the gospel and to take the message and the good news of Jesus to the ends of the earth. And this is what Jesus did. So I believe the first reason that he announces himself as the vine is because he's showing the Jewish people and the, the people of that day that you thought you were the vine I am the true vine. The way you're doing it is okay, but the way that I'm doing it is the way. And he actually says that about two chapters earlier when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The second reason that I I believe he uses the vine is because the vine, the vine, the the purpose of a vine. Here we go. You know if you say a word enough, you can add syllables to it? Somehow I made vine a two-syllable word. The vine, I think he did it because of the purpose of the plant. In design and technology, I learned that for every object, there's, there's two kind of things that you have to have in mind when designing it. Function and aesthetics. These, are these two things. So everything you see will have an element of function and an element of aesthetics. The vine is a functional plant. So... I feel like the best way to kind of explain this is through shoes. I think shoes are something that can fall into both categories and all categories. So you have shoes that are strictly based on function. Shoes like work boots, gum boots, enough from you, James. Um, You could have uh, spikes for athletes. They do those. They're, They're functional shoes. Then you have shoes that are built for aesthetics. Shoes like high heels. Um... Skate shoes, the basketball shoes, Crocs. You've got Crocs too, Emerson. Oh, mate, you've gone to the dark side. (laughs) And I had this realisation. So you have shoes that are aesthetic and you have shoes that are functional. What our society does and what fashion does is it will take a fashionable shoe, sorry, a, a functional shoe and decide it's fashionable. Kanye did this with, with Timberland boots, so with like work boots, and people then started wearing them as a, as a fashion item. Um, James rightfully said Crocs, which are the ultimate function shoe because they're great on a fishing boat and they look horrible. So they've now crossed over and they've made them a, a, a fashionable shoe. But it can only ever happen that way. It can only ever go from function to aesthetic. You, you can't do it in the reverse order. Imagine you showed up to your work site if you're a tradie this week and you have your 4X hat on, your King G shorts on, 
your socks up to your knees, and under them are the latest pair of Dior stilettos. <laughs> it's not going to happen. You can't do it because the function is so important. And, I mean, it's going to look fantastic. You're going to look great on the work site, but it's just not going to be good. If you fire a nail through your foot or something like that, your calves will look great, but your, tool, your, your toe will have blood coming out of it. And so there's these two things, function and aesthetics. A vine is a functional plant. A vine proves a function. Jesus could have picked any other plant. He could have picked one that just said, I want to be one that looks great. I want to be something that, that looks really good, presents really well. But he picked something that has a real function to it. The other reason we know that it's functional is because of the word he uses to describe the father. So he says, my father is the gardener. The word here for gardener is, and I, I apologize if I get this wrong, but it's Georgios. I like to think of Georgios of the jungle, but it's, uh, I don't know, that would only be people of my ilk that would understand that one. But it's Georgios is, so it's not really a gardener, it's more of a farmer. So the person that's looking after this plant, I, when I think of gardener, I kind of picture uh, like my grandparents Although now I picture me and my wife, it's a part of the um, ageing process apparently that you start to like gardening, but I, I picture them kind of toddling around in their garden just looking after the plants. But it's not a gardener, it's a farmer. And a farmer only has plants to serve a purpose. And this vine that he's talking about needs to serve a purpose. And that purpose is primarily to bear fruit. So we've got to have a really quick look at, at what the farmer's role is because this is something Jesus is describing, describing himself as the vine and he's saying that my father is the farmer. So he also has a role to play. The first one he does is he prunes or he trims every branch that bears fruit. This is kind of an amazing thought because even fruit-bearing branches need to be pruned. Because it bears fruit, it needs to be pruned. Listen to this. It's, I, I like this description of a vine. The vine lives to give of itself. Its flower is small, its fruit abundant, and when that fruit is mature and the vine has for a moment become glorious, the treasure of the grapes is torn down and the vine is cut back to the stem. You know, for every branch, it serves its purpose and then it's cut back to the stem. And this is the role of the, of the farmer or the gardener after it has produced fruit to cut it back to the stem. And, and this is done so that it can produce more fruit and, and more life out of it. This is the first thing that the farmer does. The second thing that the farmer does is he cuts off the deadwood. He cuts off the branches that have no life running through them anymore. And this is kind of a hectic verse and when it speaks about this, but... I feel like that picture of Judas is, is such an important one for us to hold on to. That this was a man that walked with Jesus. This was a man that was in and around Jesus. He was one of his disciples. He would have been considered by many lucky because he got to walk with Jesus all of these days. But even though he was close to him, he was not attached to him. Even though he was close, there was still a barrier between him and Jesus. And I believe when it speaks about Deadwood, I think the one that is probably the biggest danger for us is when we become religious. If we just start to decide that I can do this on my own, I can, I can get there by my works, I can get there because I'm working hard at it and I no longer be, need to be attached to the life source. 
What's hard about this is you may still be attached to the vine, but his life is no longer running through you. And it says that the father's job here is to, to cut it away and to cut off those limbs because they're actually dead weight. Those things are inhibiting the rest of the vine to do its work. And this is what is described as cutting off dead wood. I do find it interesting that, that none of the other disciples saw it coming. When Judas betrayed Jesus, they didn't see it coming. They didn't know that he was planning for this. It made sense for him to have to leave because he was the one that looked after the money, but they didn't see it coming. And this is something that we have to hold this for ourselves. And as individuals, we only know if we're becoming dead wood. We're the only ones that know if, if there's actually that life source running through us or if we just appear to be attached to the vine. So up to this point, I've just been talking about how Jesus is the vine. And you might be going, similarly to the disciples, I reckon at this point we're going, okay, that's great, thanks Jesus, that's really good, you're describing yourself as the vine, you're saying the, the gardener, that your heavenly father is going to prune you, he's going to cut off dead wood, that's fine, but what about us? What about us? Where do, where do we come into this? How does, how does this affect us? The very next verse, and I believe it's verse 5, it says it beautifully, it says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Because we're described as the branches, what's true for the vine is true for us. Because we're described as the branches, we are not separate from what happens to Jesus. Quite the opposite, we get the privilege of being attached to his life. So because we are the branches, this means three things for us. I'll invite the, the band to come and join me. This means three things. Firstly, we have things that need to be pruned. Secondly, we have things that need to be cut off. And finally, we're to carry on the mission of Jesus. This is one of the most important ones, and I'll get, it to, I'll get to it in just a moment, but we're to carry on the mission of Jesus because the vine is not just an aesthetic plant, it's a functional plant. But firstly, what does it mean to be pruned? You know, pruning can be quite a painful process. I feel like in our minds we consider it to be a painful process because we've got those really dodgy shears that we use that are usually blunt and they don't do a good job. And so when we think of pruning, we often think of the shears, right, or the pruners. Is that the right name, shears? Secateurs, there we go. Like the three secateurs. Oh, no, that's the musketeers, different thing. Um, so we think of those when we, when we think of pruning. But actually... It's not about the tool, it's about who's using it. And this is where I just really want you to catch that, that pruning, while it can seem like it's going to be a painful thing, is actually a privilege because it's done by our Heavenly Father. And again, Jesus is a perfect picture of the Father and the Father's heart. And that means He's going to do it kindly, He's going to do it graciously and with mercy, and He's going to do it because He wants to bring new life for us. So that's the first one is that we need to be pruned. And I think what the, the really nice thing, so that word pruned, it kind of means two things. So firstly, it's cut at the stem. The other one, the word that it uses is cleaned or cleansed and that the Father cleanses the branches. I kind of like this because when I look at my own life, I am not a perfectly straight, really good-looking branch. I look at myself and each of us would do this. Like we, we would look within ourselves and go, but I don't know if God could use that. 
I don't know how he feels about that part of my life. I don't know how he likes about, I don't know if he can use the way that my brain patterns are. Like I, I freak out if I'm in front of people. How could God ever use me? But you allow the gardener, you allow the farmer to come and clean those branches. He'll take that thing which you think and which I think is unpresentable and he'll bring life from it. He'll make it fruit-bearing. And, and this is the power of pruning and the power of, of allowing our life to be under the workmanship of the great gardener of our heavenly father. So that's the first one. The second one, what does it mean to have things cut off? And we don't love this. We don't love this idea that there's things in our life that need to be cut off. But I want to tell you that it is so much easier living a life where you're not dragging dead wood behind you. You know, maybe you feel like you're stuck in a season. Maybe you feel like you can't move forward. Maybe you feel like you've been there for a long time and you just have no momentum. You hear these things, you're like, yeah, that's all good, but you don't know what I'm carrying. You're right, I don't know what you're carrying, but your heavenly father does. And he wants to carry it for you. Not only that, he wants to remove it from you. If there's things in your life that are dead weight, just drop them off. Just allow him to remove them from your life because they're actually inhibiting more growth for you. And that's what, that's what the goal of all of our lives is, that we bear fruit, that we live lives that have lasting fruit and that, that carry on the mission of Christ. It's so easy to allow religion to, to become our new normal. And as a church, we speak about this a lot because this is our default. Our default is to, to come under the presence and under the grace and mercy of our Saviour, Jesus Christ, and then walk out the doors and go, okay, now, now it's my turn. Now I'll take over. Now I'll work it from here. Or, or I'm just going to do the right amount of things. I'll just raise my hands the right amount of times. But we've got to do more. Actually, we've got to do less is the truth of it. We've got to do less. We've got to allow him to do more in our lives and just release that stuff which is weighing all of us down. And it's, it can just so easily grow. And from afar, it can look like a branch. It can look like a good branch. But you know the things in your life where there isn't life running through it. And that's how you know. If you know there's not life running through something in your life, just allow him to cut it off. Allow him to remove it because it's just weighing you down. The final, and I feel like this is... Well, tonight, anyway, not the most important for the passage, but just tonight as I was reflecting, I feel like this was the most important one for us as a church. We're called to carry on the mission of Jesus. You know, the vine, its role was to spread throughout the nations, throughout the earth, so that the good news could be spread everywhere. And Jesus, it'd be nice if he just hung around, right? It'd be nice if he just didn't die on the cross, didn't die for our sins and and, oh no, it's good he did rose again, but it would be good if he didn't go to that bit and was like, I'm just going to become an itinerant preacher and I'm just going to travel the world. I'll do this. I'll share the good news about myself. I'll share what, what I've done and, and then that'll be great. But he understood that there was power in engaging broken humanity. He understood that there's power in using the brokenness that you and I carry. Pastor Cam shared from it last week that that, that brokenness, he can take it and make it beautiful. But the last thing we want to do is become domesticated Christians. The last thing we want to do is get this amazing gospel, this good news of Jesus, and hold it for ourselves. Because what we do, if we grab it and we hold it for ourselves, we keep it in here and we keep it to ourselves, 
we do exactly what Israel did. And that's that they held it for themselves and they did everything they could to protect it, forgetting that it was the very source of life for those around them. And so church, why don't you jump to your feet? We're going to sing a song in a second, but there's three groups of people tonight. And and I really want to encourage you to respond. We do this as a church every week and we ask you to respond every week. The reason for that is the world's going to throw everything at you this week. A Sunday is your chance to refuel. A Sunday is your chance to realign. I believe a Sunday is your chance to allow that gardener, the farmer, our heavenly father to prune you, to cut away those things that don't need to be there. And he does it by his spirit. And he's so willing to do it. He's willing to do it in a moment. And we're going to sing this song called Make Room. And I really love the picture that it, it kind of puts of a vine because an overgrown vine actually doesn't produce fruit well. A great vine is a vine that is cared for, that is pruned, that is cleaned. The bits that aren't producing fruit are cut off and it's done with purpose. And I want to let you know that, that you will be pruned with purpose. And I just really believe that tonight there's some new life that needs to come to some people. Maybe you've been living in last season's fruit. The amazing thing about fruit is it needs to be taken from the vine and then pruned back. You can't just keep living off that same branch. Allow him to enter you into a new season. And so tonight we're going to sing it. And if you're wanting to respond, if you're wanting to say, do you know what? I need some stuff cleaned. I need some stuff pruned. I need some stuff cut away. Or even, I'm no longer going to hold the gospel for myself. I'm going to just invite you to step out of your chair because we actually do need to engage our faith. This is a safe place to do it. If, if this is asking us to carry the good news out there and we can't do it in here, then what, what hope are we? You know, this is a safe place. Engage your faith. This is a place where we love you and we want, we want to stand with you and pray with you and see the Holy Spirit do this. But if that's you tonight, I just want to encourage you, just jump out of your seat, come down the front. We're going to sing this song together. Uh, and I just believe the Holy Spirit's going to do a work within you. Is that all right? Beautiful. We hope this message encouraged or perhaps even challenged you in your Christian faith. Our pastors meet regularly with people to pray and support them, and we extend this invitation to you. Please let us know if we can contact you to offer support. Simply call the office or visit nexuschurch.com.au.